Good morning. It's good to see you all. So thankful that you've all chosen to be here today as together we assemble on the first day of the week to worship God. It's a wonderful opportunity and a wonderful blessing that he has given to each of us, and I'm glad that you're here. You can open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Acts chapter 27, and I'm not going to ask you to turn a single page all morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 27 all morning together. Last Sunday night, if you were here, Jeremy and I did a lesson in which we read and studied through Acts chapters 22 through 25. We made a few points in regards to each of those chapters, and Jeremy also alluded to some of the events that took place in Acts chapter 26 as Paul met and spoke with Agrippa. But in preparation for last Sunday night, I had read the latter part of Acts, and it was really enjoyable for me. I think a lot of times the earlier parts of Acts get most of the attention, and for just cause, it's it's an incredibly important part of the Bible. The end of Acts reads more as a narrative as the story of Paul being taken to Rome is told, but it was really enlightening to me to read through uh, this part of Acts and do so kind of in one setting. And, And so as I was thinking about last Sunday night, my mind continued to think about the events that took place uh, after the part of Acts that we read and studied together. Now, we're not going to read all of chapter 27 together this morning as we did last Sunday night. But we are going to look at this particular part of Paul's journey to Rome, and we're going to try and make some points of application in regards to what happened there. There's usually a clicker up here for the... Ah, did you hide it over here? Okay, let's see if this works. It doesn't have a battery cover on it. Stu, you may have to progress my slides for me this morning. The journey that Paul went on as he was put on trial, somewhat of a trial, and then as he made his way to Rome, it's a, it's a terrifying journey, as you see on the screen behind me. It's a journey that took many weeks. It's a journey that involved a lot of different people, and it's one that had everything the best of movies could put into it. As you can imagine, when you think about the day and time in which Paul lived, they didn't have the navigational systems that we have today. They didn't have the technology and ships and sea travel that we have today. And so they were led oftentimes by the weather and by the time of year and the seasons. And they were led by the stars in the sky and the sun during the day, what they could see They were checking depths, as we're even told at parts of Acts chapter 27 manually, just to see how much water was underneath their ship. Traveling from the area of Jerusalem to Rome was no small undertaking. But as Paul had appealed to Caesar, that's exactly what had to happen. He had to be sent to Rome so that he could stand trial before Caesar. And because of that, he was now placed on a ship and sent on his way. And the events that unfold tell of such a tumultuous journey that Paul went on over the days and weeks that followed. And while it's an interesting story to read, and certainly one that is intriguing and even harrowing in certain ways, I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from what happens during Paul's time at sea. 
And it's the events of chapter 27 that I want to focus on together this morning. Gary kind of read a couple of verses for us there to set the stage as to what's taking place. And I want to dive into just a couple of the specifics together this morning. I want to pick up in verse number 9, where Gary left off at the end of verse 8. I want to read just a couple of verses together. And what I want you to do as we read these first few verses is think about the chaos that is unfolding. Thank you. Think about the chaos that is unfolding in the early stages of this story. So read with me again, beginning in verse number 9 of chapter 27. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the feast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Drop down with me to verse number 21. Again, still thinking about the chaos that's surrounding them. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. And lastly, beginning in verse number 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is your survival, for for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Storms were raising, were raging, weather was a significant problem, and the ship that Paul was on was being tossed around at sea. Chaos reigned on that ship. There was uncertainty whether they would survive, better yet make it to their destination. And who was the voice of leadership on that ship? Who was the voice of reason? Who was the voice of calm? It wasn't the ship's captain. It wasn't the centurion that had been put in charge of all of these prisoners. It was one of the prisoners, Paul, who stood up and spoke about the peace and the safety that God was going to provide, who gave direction to them about when and what and how much to eat so that they could make it to their destination safely. It's interesting to me in this moment 
that it was one of the prisoners who gave a chaotic situation some level of stability. And it was that prisoner who was able to do that because it was the voice of godly leadership that rose to the surface. I think about the world around us, and I think about the chaos that we see at certain times. And there are men and women who hold great positions of power and leadership in this country and in other places. And yet as they come and as they go, and we vote for one and we don't vote for another, what happens? The world continues to reign in chaos. And it will continue to do so without godly direction. That's what Paul was able to provide. Because here, here's the reality of the situation. Where God sees chaos, he brings structure. Where God sees uncertainty, he provides stability. And it's been that way since literally the beginning of time. Genesis chapter 1. What did God see? The Hebrew there is translated, everything was wild and waste. And what did God set about to do? Set things in order. Stabilize that which was chaotic. So let's take that big principle and narrow it down just a little bit. I want you to think about your home, your family. Is your home life chaotic? Is there uncertainty? Is there instability within your home, among your children, within your marriage? Do you ever feel as if you are being tossed around all over the place? If that's the case, what's lacking is the voice of godly leadership. Because every single time, that voice of godly leadership will take what is chaotic and provide stability. So fathers, you have a responsibility within your home to be that voice. If your home is chaotic, look in the mirror. God has given us the responsibility to be a voice of stability within our homes because he is our father and we are taking our cues from him. And if we emulate him within our homes, we will bring about the stability that our family craves and needs. Within the local body here at Traders Point, a group our size, it would be very easy for things to get chaotic in a hurry. But we've been blessed with an eldership that has been given a responsibility and an ability to be a voice of reason and stability among our group here. And as long as they adhere to the instructions and the direction of God, they will continue to provide stability in what could otherwise turn into a chaotic environment. I remember I, I was in high school, 
when 9-11 happened in 2001. I, I remember that pretty clearly. I'm sure most of you here do. I know several of you are probably either too young or weren't even born, but most of us probably remember that. Do you remember what happened in the days after 9-11? It was something that in my 37 years I've only seen one time, where, where this country looked inward and began to focus on doing good and serving others, and there was a, a draw to morality and a draw to godliness. Now, that, that may have been misplaced at times, but, but I'm sure if you, you can remember that draw to each other and, and to morality and to stability, because what had happened on that day created chaos across our country. And the natural reaction to chaos occurring is to look for stability. And where did that lead us? It led us to a sense of godliness, and a sense of morality, and a desire to serve and to help. It's natural, it's innate, it's innate within each of us. And we recognize that that stability that we all crave can only be found in the Lord. We're not, mad, we're not going to elect the right person one day who is going to provide us with the stability that we all crave. Because that stability can only come from God. That's why it wasn't the captain of the ship or the centurion that was providing direction and instruction to the prisoners aboard this ship. It was Paul. Because he was the voice of godly leadership in a chaotic circumstance. So we have the responsibility, as we look at what Paul did here, to be that voice in whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in. At school, in our homes, in the church, in our communities. Where there is chaos, where there is uncertainty, where there is instability, be the voice of godly leadership that can lead people to the stability that we all crave. Because that's exactly what God provides. He is a God of order. He's a God of structure. He's a God of comfort and peace. And he's the one that can take a chaotic situation and lead us into stability. There's something else that really stood out in the midst of all of this chaos and in the midst of of all of this instability as Paul was being that voice of reason that we talked about. Look at verse number 35. We read just a moment ago. Now they had been fasting at this point to try and preserve what little food they had left because of the uncertainty of which faced them. But look at what is said in verse 35. And when he had said these things, he took bread, that's Paul, and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and when he had broken it, he began to eat. And they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. Now again, don't, don't lose sight of the context here. They've been fasting for 14 days because they only had a limited amount of food and they didn't know what was going to happen next. They weren't sure if they were going to survive, if they were going to crash. Storms were raging, the sea was wild, and Paul says, okay, it's time to eat. And what does he take the time to do before eating what little food they have left? He stops and he gives thanks. I've been in 
hectic circumstances, nothing like Paul was in here. And I'm sure all of us can describe moments in our lives where we've been either worried about something or just the circumstances around us are chaotic and difficult and things seem to be going 100 miles an hour everywhere we turn. In those moments, the example we see here from Paul is that we need to stop and give God thanks. I'm guessing there probably wasn't a whole lot of food for these men to eat. They had enough for this meal, but the fact that they had been fasting for 14 days makes me think there wasn't a whole lot left. But you know what that food did for them? It gave them the energy that they needed. It gave their bodies the strength that they needed to tackle what was next on their journey. And so Paul gave God thanks for that. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of uncertainty, he stopped to give thanks for what he had. And I have to imagine, even just based on what is said here, that after doing that, they were all encouraged. I have to imagine that's the same effect that each of us can experience. When in the middle of crazy circumstances, we just stop for a moment, we think about what God has given to us, about what he's provided for us, and we remember to thank him for that. Even as I say that, I can envision things just slowing down a little bit. I can envision my mindset changing by doing that. I have to imagine these prisoners hadn't been encouraged very much over the past several days or weeks. But they were in that moment. It's so important that no matter what life throws at us, no matter what what we may be engaged in at any given time, that we stop periodically and we just thank God. We thank him for the food that we have to eat. We thank him for the clothes that we have to wear. We thank him for the breath that he's giving to us. We thank him for the people in our lives that are supporting us during those times. Never let your life get so chaotic that you forget to thank God for what he's done for you. If that verse, if verse 35 hadn't been in this story, I don't think any of us would have even given it a second thought. But it's in there to remind us that no matter what was going on, Paul was the kind of man who wasn't about to eat without thanking God for what he had been given. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that is so in tune with God's blessings that that I am just constantly thinking about the opportunity that I have to thank the giver of all good things for what I have. That's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to be that connected with God, that aware of the blessings that he has given to me. And Paul is a great reminder of that in the middle of these crazy, crazy circumstances that he was dealing with. Then lastly, I'm going to ask you to back up a little bit from where we were to verse 22. 
And this is similar to a, a point that I, I made last Sunday night from chapter 23 in verse 11. I, wanna, I want you to listen to what Paul has to say to those on the ship beginning in verse number 22. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all, granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. In chapter 23, in verse number 11, as Paul had been put in prison, we're told that the Lord stood by him that night and reminded Paul of the promises that he had made to him. And here we see, as Paul is on the ship, uncertain about what's going to happen next, an angel of the God whom he belongs stood next to him and brought him a message. That message was one of comfort because God assured Paul that he would be delivered. And not just him, but all those aboard would be delivered safely. Paul then took that message and relayed it to everyone else aboard the ship. I want you to think about the environment that Paul was in. This wasn't a local body of Christians he was surrounded by. These weren't even Jews. These were, these were Roman guards and a bunch of prisoners aboard this ship. Roman guards and a bunch of prisoners. 200 and, what did it say, 76 of them? And Paul is talking about an angel of God that came to him and told him that they would all be delivered safely. How do you think that message would be received? I have to admit, not the way that it was. That's not how I thought it would be received. When I think about Paul and I think about his conviction. There was not a doubt in his mind that after hearing that, that is precisely what would happen. Not a doubt in his mind. And when it's delivered to others in that same manner, it carries with it a certain weight. And in this environment and in this moment, he was able to convince others that this is exactly what's going to happen. And as such, they listened to him and they took the advice that he brought to them. I have to imagine that they were able to see in Paul a certain level of peace and confidence and comfort and conviction that made them want to listen to him. And the message that he brought was one of joy and gladness and safety. Now, can you you begin to see the parallels that I hope we can make here to our lives today? We are oftentimes going to be surrounded by a very secular environment. Perhaps one that doesn't know much about God. Perhaps one that doesn't particularly believe or like things of any type of a religious nature. Okay. That's fine. Because when I look into scripture, 
I see the promises that God has made to me. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross and offers grace to this world to forgive us of our sins if we turn ourselves over to him. I believe with all of my heart that we have a home in heaven waiting for us. And if I take that message to the world with that type of conviction and that type of certainty, that message of deliverance can and will be received by those who are looking for it. But I have to be that voice that is convicted first. I have to be personally confident of the promises that God has made to me. Because I'm sure you've all heard people try and convince you of something that deep down you know they don't even believe. How good at convincing you of that are they going to be? But when someone is truly convicted of something, it sounds different in the way they deliver it. It comes across differently. You can, you can tell by talking to them, this person really deeply believes what they're saying. And you listen differently to that. You respond differently to that. You think differently about that. And so Paul's message of deliverance, God's power to do so, it was heeded by those on board. When I think about the responsibility that God has given to each of us to be his voice in this world, to be his messengers in this world, That is a huge responsibility that I never want to take lightly. But I have to recognize that I will never be the messenger that God wants and needs me to be if I don't first believe it myself, understand it well enough to explain it to someone else, and be able to provide it in its entirety. Because that message is one of comfort. That message is one of deliverance. That message is one of salvation. It's a message that a chaotic world wants to hear. They may not know it, but they want to hear it. So we have a responsibility to be that voice in this world. And to do so with the same level of conviction and the same level of confidence that Paul did so. Now that doesn't mean that everybody will listen. That doesn't mean that everyone will respond positively. But that does mean that we will go about it in the way that God intends for us to. That we will do everything that we can to help bring others to Christ. Because we followed the examples of men like Paul and others in Scripture. And we take the gospel message, the message of deliverance, to a chaotic world, and we do so in a way that helps bring about order and comfort the way that God intended for it to. That passage in chapter 23 and verse number 11 has stuck with me ever since I began studying it last week, where the Lord stood by Paul. And I know that I'm talking to a lot of people that know and understand and believe that The Lord stands by us. 
he stands by us, ready to help, ready to listen, ready to deliver, ready to save. What I see when I read through chapter 27 is I see Paul being the kind of man who stands by God. And that's the other side of that equation that is so important. The Lord stands ready for every single person. But he looks for people who are willing to stand with him. And Paul was the kind of man who, regardless of his circumstances, stood by God. And he demonstrated that in the way that he conducted himself. He demonstrated that in the way that he talked to other people. He demonstrated that in the thanks that he gave, regardless of the circumstances that he was in. He stood by God. So as we wrap things up this morning, that's the last thought that I want to leave you with. God stands ready. He has already done the work. He's won the battle. He's defeated Satan. Christ has died for your sins. Are you going to stand by him? He has brought grace into this world. Grace that is almost hard to fathom. Jesus Christ took the punishment for my sins. That's not fair. That's exactly what he did. He took the punishment for my sins so that I could stand by him through this life and the next. That I could have him as a friend, as a confidant, as a deliverer. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, he stands ready. He's there. He's he's waiting. And he's pleading with you to come be with him. To have your sins washed away in baptism. To have the relationship with him that you were created to have. Maybe you've done that, but maybe as we talk about some of the chaotic circumstances of life, maybe you realize that difficult times haven't drawn you closer to God. They've driven you further away from him. That the chaos of the world and the difficult circumstances that each of us face have led us down a path in which we kind of look around at some point and we realize we have drifted so far from the Lord who loves us so much. Just like with Paul, he stands by your side, ready, ready to welcome you back. There are a lot of people here this morning who also stand by your side, ready to help you, ready to encourage you, to pray for you, to do whatever we can, to make sure that you walk out of here this morning knowing that you have a relationship with your Lord, knowing that you are saved, knowing that he walks by you and you by him. If we can help you in any way to do that, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.